Okay, this episode of the Film Slut Pod- Podcast to be released in January 2022. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, I'll edit this after my Oscar predictions because Oscars are next Monday. Mm. Which I took the day off for. Anyways, welcome back to the Film Slut Podcast. I'm here with second time guest, Jeremy. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Wow, you finished your masters since the last episode. Really? Was yeah, that we a, did Moonrise Kingdom like a year ago. Yeah, we did Moonrise Kingdom wow. in like May-ish, I would I wanna say, but I can't remember. Okay, so I finished my masters, which was mm-hmm. like that was that was like a year ago now. So now I have a master's in screenwriting. Yeah. I have I don't have anything to show for it other than You like have longer scripts. hair. <laughs> I have longer hair. I have a feature script that has been entered into some competitions. Oh and my God. I have opinions on movies. <laughs> and you moved out. That's that was what a I big have. milestone. I moved out. That's a huge yep. milestone. Um congrats. Yeah. Every time I watch movies though now, I have very strong opinions that are only backed up by like years of education. Yes. People who haven't done years of education don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. But I hope that will make me a valuable resource. Mm-hmm. You have a master's, you're unstoppable. <laughs> oh please, I-, I hope other people can tell me that. Okay. Um today we are discussing Synecdoche, New York. It's kind of like Moonrise Kingdom in a way. <laughs> Very is similar it, movies. It... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Mm. Let's try and find the similarities between Moonrise Kingdom <laughs> and Synecdoche, New York. I think oh my God. they have. They're both auto movies by white yeah. men. Yes. Um, about isolation and featuring... <laughs> about alienation as well it's like a lot of the the characters that aren't sort of like major are like quite cruel to the protagonists um yeah love is is featured in both of them but like Mm -hmm. i think moonrise kingdom is a lot more hopeful um yeah i'd say like um because both of us have been reading ad kind um and kind being charlie kaufman's 700 page novel um which Mm -hmm. was released last year but i think both of them have like quite si- they're a lot more similar to Ant Kind than Moonrise Kingdom. That's true. <laughs> and you have read Ant Kind, and I am reading Ant Kind, so yes, right. Technically, like I haven't finished it. I am on page four hundred and seventy-three out of seven hundred pages. So That's pretty I'm, good. I'm. <laughs> you say that like you're proud of me for reading because I'm just so slow. It's also a very hard book to get through. I got Ankind before Jeremy, and Jeremy has finished Ankind, and I haven't finished it. I kind of I just read it in two months, though. So that's pretty easy. Like if you actually commit and. Oh no! I bought it in July. <laughs> You've almost had it for a year. Anyways, okay, let's get to the plot of Synecdoche because that's a big one. Do you want to summarize it? Um, I can't do... I like summarizing it to other people. Um, Wait, let me try and then you can try. Okay. Okay. Um, the main character, Caden Cotard, he's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He gets a MacArthur grant for this big, honest theater project. And he dedicates all his time to that. And his wife and daughter leaves him for Berlin. 
and he has like serious illnesses that doctors like can't ref- like they can't and they refuse to diagnose him and he is in like an on and off again relationship with Hazel from the box office and this play that he's working on is like a growing like live no like a life-sized reconstruction of his depressing reality and it is in an abandoned Shakespeare warehouse in what's the place called it's they call it like Manhattan (laughs) no it's not in Manhattan it's like it's not Manhattan New York it's like Schenectady. I think it's pronounced Schenectady. Oh, Schenectady. So I think it's pronounced Schenectady. But it's spelled differently. It's a different yes. place. Yes. Okay. Do you have anything? I was to talking add? to someone about this movie and they called it Cynecdoche. And I was like, yeah, Cynecdoche. No, I've heard like Cynecdoche. And I'm like, what? Cynecdoche. Yeah. Wait, did we mention his, did we mention Adele and Olive in that summary? Um, I said his wife and daughter leaves him. I didn't name them specifically. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that was a pretty good summary then. Like, that covers everything that I would have summarized. Um, mm-hmm. I got my sister to watch it, and she watched the first five minutes and then gave up. <laughs> Apparently, because it was like, there was too much going on. It's really loaded, and it's really, like, packed with stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally. The first ten minutes is, like, insane. It's very... Mm. It's all over the place. The music is really intense and it's it's so eerie it's like everything wrong just happens to him in the first 10 minutes and then it sets the tone for like the rest of the film i feel like so the whole plot machination of the the big play that he puts on only happens about half an hour in so before that half an hour it's sort of like you're led on this sort of fucking screenwriting school coming into coming into action um you're led through like a cause and effect chain of basically what's the first thing that happens? He, because it's like, he sort of gets sick and then he's led through like a series of doctors and a series mm-hmm. of like, um, yeah. it's sort of like a random cause and effect chain that, that goes through all the sort of bad parts of his life. Like his wife doesn't seem to be into him. His, yep. The doctors can't diagnose what's happening to him. Random acts of cruelty keep happening from the universe. Like his tap explodes in his face. Exactly. Then, he has something called psychosis, but it's of the face but as opposed to like without the PS. Exactly without the PS. It's like an ant kind when they talk about hypnosis. Psychosis. Yes. <laughs> I read the script after I watched the movie, and it was it had even more random acts of like like random Kafka esque elements. Like there's mm-hmm. one random scene in which Caden is walking through a mall, and there are <laughs> mall Santas there, and one of the mall Santas starts choking to death, pulls off his mask, revealing a tortured blue face, gasps for air and dies. And it just happens. And then there's another deleted scene in which Caden is walking through the plaza in like 2041 or something. And then a man wearing a white t-shirt and a Santa hat like starts attacking him and starts beating him up. And he notices on the shirt, there is um, one of Adele's artworks, which is a black dot in which feature is featured all of the suffering of humanity in which he sees a man wearing a Santa hat beating up a person who looks like Caden on the t-shirt. Oh my god, I, I just can't handle that. It's like, I love how the most ridiculous things weren't filmed, but like there's still exactly. so much ridiculous things that end up in the movie. Totally. Um, like even in the last act, the warehouse inside of the warehouse inside of the warehouse. I know. 
and even like um hazel dying from lung cancer when she was in when she's been living in the house that has been on fire for like this entire time and nobody ever addresses it and for like 40 years or something like that i think they call it like a fire sale it's yeah like, it's so stupid um and she dies oh that was so funny because they actually like have sex and then she dies the next day and it's like you just thought that well, it's like they have their first moment of ke- full connection where full, they're like yeah, actually so they're actually years. honest to each other exactly where they're actually like why didn't we have this all these years and it's sort i know of like and they finally like, found each other and they're finally yeah. in the place to accept each other and then she dies and then she just dies of smoke inhalation yeah and like all these crazy scenes keep happening that yeah it's so ridiculous actually yeah let's go through like scenes that we love that's like one of the ridiculous things that I love. love. Um, the other thing that I think about all the time that just makes me crack up is like when Caden is like, I have to see my daughter. She has tattoos um, and she's like a tattooed child that's like 13 years old or something. <laughs> and Michelle Williams is like, what do you mean? Everybody has tattoos. And then she like takes off her shirt and her back has this like really demonic, <laughs> big, massive tattoo. It's like, all like red and it looks like a demon and Kaden was like I did not know you had a tattoo <laughs> so, oh my it's God. so ridiculous so you said the first time you watched it it was really depressing but this time yes. it was a lot funnier I this think, time like the the absurdity of it got to you exactly I think like Mark Twain made some points when he said that like he said like comedy is just tragedy with time and this is my fourth time watching mm. Synecdoche New York and the first time I think I'm generally like really attracted to depressing things and like dark comedy, like satire, like just the absurdity of things. So like Synecdoche the first time for me was, I don't think I fully understood like Coffin's work and how it's supposed to be like funny and tragic at the same time. And the first time I saw it, I... Apparently he's very influenced by Kafka, which has a lot of like sort of hilarious like yet like absurdly tragic things in it so like alienating things that turn out to be very funny yes and the first time i saw it i cried through most of it especially like the funeral monologue because it was just so tragic and like this time we were laughing so hard i think that's also though like when i'm laughing at something i feel like it's pretty contagious because i have a very loud laugh yeah you have such a like infectious laugh and also i feel like after you actually dive into some of charlie kaufman's other work you tend to like get used to that sense of like tragedy and comedy in the same like tone. I think particularly he he thinks that some things are funny and it's like if you're tapped yeah. into his sense of humor you're like oh yeah that is pretty funny um, and if funny. you're not tapped in you're like what is happening? I know but we are pretty big fans of Charlie Kaufman. I think we've seen like most of his movies together. I haven't seen I haven't seen the random ones he did with in between adaptation yeah. and Eternal Sunshine. I haven't seen that We've one. We've seen a lot. We saw like Adaptation, Being John Malkovich. What else? Anomalisa. Yeah, we watched like most of, we watch Anomalisa together. Yeah, we did. And I showed it to you. Yeah, okay. And then we saw I'm right, Thinking yeah. of Ending Things last year. I think yeah. my favorite scene is, is quite obviously the fairy scene. Oh um, my God. Do you remember what which, they say? Um, so Olive is looking back on her life um, and you're only reading it from the journal entry, which is like, sometimes <laughs> an article of clothing can remind you of a time that you remember. A green jacket. Like when we were, 
walk a green jacket <laughs> when I asked if we could play a game in which I am a girl fairy and you are a boy fairy. No, I am a girl fairy. Titan. Yes. And what's the other name? Teetery and that that whole monologue is such like a, a beautiful like sort of random existential mm-hmm. moment. But I think I realized why they put it there because it, it it immediately precedes the character Olive's death. Totally. And so it's sort of like remind it's sort of like reminding you um, the innocence that these two characters once shared. Because mm-hmm. in the script, it that that moment isn't there at all. That that moment is right in the beginning, right after the psychosis conversation. Totally. Um, I think that's with editing as well. It's, I think it's like it, it was turned out to be so much more poignant after you see all of Olive's life. Totally. And so much more impactful as well. And like her journal seems to be writing itself, even though she's like in Berlin and Caden. Her magic journal. The magic journal that Caden broke. It's like a little lock and he <laughs> broke it open with like a giant um, like plier thing. And he. Mm. They told him specifically not to read her journal, and he does anyways mm. because he's so desperate to find a connection with his daughter who, like, he hasn't seen for years. I think one of my favorite small moments is when he wants to get a gift for Olive, and he finds out her favorite color is pink, and he goes to the toy shop and he's like, "Do you guys have anything pink?" And they bring out like this nondescript <laughs> pink box that has a picture of a nose and says, "Nose." It's like, wow, she'll love that. And then he goes all the way to Berlin, and he finds the pink box like abandoned. In a like in a junkyard. There's that shot with him crying with the box, and it's like so tragic and funny. And Jennifer Jason Lee has um, a German accent already, even though she's only been there for like a few years. Mm. And by the end, Olive can't even speak English. (laughs) Oh my god, that scene was really sad, actually. And the flower tattoos on her like seem to be dying. The flower tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. That was insane. I was gonna ask if we can discuss um, Caden's homosexual lover, Eric. Okay, yes, I actually wrote that down. Because the the, the first time that come that is prominently featured is when mm-hmm. Olive, when dying, is uh, is like say that you're sorry, and he's like, yes. I'm sorry, and he's like, what? And then she's like, say you're sorry for abandoning me for having, having for homosexual going to have anal sex with my <laughs> anal sex with my homosexual lover, Eric, and he's like, you're going to have. <laughs> anal sex with my homosexual lover, Eric. And then she's like, I cannot forgive you. I'm sorry. It's and then she lies. cries, and then she literally dies. And <laughs> I just, I don't know yeah. how to process that. But okay, he seems to be the cause of like everyone's pain. And I feel like the audience sees him as this like really helpless, pitiful guy. He's like causing all this pain but- to people without realizing that he's causing this pain to people and we don't see him cause pain to people exactly because time seems to be going so fast in the background when you actually like notice the dates of things in the background and on newspapers and stuff time seems to be going really fast i believe the script ends in 2055 it like specifically says it ends in 2055 and like the timeline the actual timeline is way quicker than we realize and like how do Mm. we know that he's actually not innocent and helpless as he seems like Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so, though. So we see there are different iterations of Eric. So f- the first yep. time that Eric is mentioned is when the psychologist... Oh, my God, the psychologist. <laughs> I so love, okay, we'll moments. talk about that, yeah. The, the psychologist <laughs> is talking about the story of Little Winky, which was written by a four-year-old and features... What's it about? About a, a virulent anti-Semite who mm-hmm. eventually has a 
destructive uh, a destructive affair with with uh, a black man named Eric something yep. something 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 and the four year old a, a killed... destructive homosexual affair and then the four year old killed himself killed when he was himself. five. There's <laughs> like all these things that like are sad and then you think about them and you're like no this is absurd. This is so absurd. Okay, can we talk about the therapist? Um, I think she's one of my favorite characters, like, ever. But I kind of realized, I feel like she's a parody of, like, actual mm-hmm. self-help books that Charlie Kaufman must have read. Totally. Because she, she says stuff like, be here now, which is, like, my favorite, that's that's my favorite slogan, or my favorite sort of mantra, be here now. But then she's, like, almost violent with it. She's like, now, now. Mm-hmm. And, okay, the, what's weird was when, oh, her name's Madeline. Hmm. And Co- and Caden was like, wow, written by a four-year-old. I'm reading this script. And Madeline is like, because he killed himself when he was five. And then Caden was like, why did he kill himself? And Madeline was like, I don't know. Why didn't you? And Caden was like, what? And then it just gets so absurd. That was like a really interesting scene because she seems to be like questioning him and she knows everything about him. And she seems to be like against him at the same time. And then there's like the weird power that she has over him. Like when he's reading the book and she's like, look to your right, I am there. And she is there. And she sort of like, she reveals her leg to him and he sort of doesn't know what to do. And then he goes back to the book and it's like, I I reveal my soft flower to you. Um, You reject it. You reject it. This book is over. And then it's blank. (laughs) What other amazing moments are there? Because it's like, it's... I feel like our discussion is going to be just as messy as the film is because the film is in a beautiful way very very messy yeah but that's like a it's supposed to be like that but our podcast is yeah let's just it's it's the Kaufman special yeah exactly it's supposed to be I was gonna say the other the other time that Eric appears I was gonna say the other time Eric appears is as Ellen's lover who like appears like randomly out of nowhere except the fact that Caden swaps <laughs> in for for Ellen for Ellen um and then also there's there's a moment when Caden is also sees himself on the poster of a movie movie adaptation of Little Winky. Totally. And so he's both within Little Winky and he's also within Ellen's story and there's both there's a there's He a sees himself on TV. He sees himself mm. on TV and in like all those like animated TV shows and he sees himself yeah. on, like those like medication like commercials on TV and he just like puts himself in every like tragic situation. Um, mm. the whole Ellen thing was really interesting. The thing I caught this time that I didn't catch before was when he calls Adele, like, and Adele's at her art show and whatever, and he's like, oh, it's Caden, and she can't hear him because it's really loud. And she was like, Ellen? <laughs> and that was really early on the the movie, and I yeah. caught it this time, and I was like, that is genius, because, like, Ellen is Adele's cleaner, from the apartment mm-hmm. which Caden becomes and he like sneaks into her apartment which we will talk about about do you want to talk about it oh okay so okay it's sort of like well we won't talk about Ankind just yet but it's sort of yeah. like when when Caden visits the apartment uh, Adele's apartment after years of being separated from her um he the only way he can get in is that like uh, an old person nearby is like oh are you are you Ellen I'm supposed to give this key to Ellen and Ellen yeah. is the custodian of the building who cleans all mm-hmm. her stuff, who cleans all of Adele's stuff. So Caden's like, yes, I am Ellen, and goes in and starts cleaning her stuff. Exactly. And starts, like, exchanging notes with Adele, um, but under the pseudonym of Ellen. And that's his way, how he gets to his his ex-wife, who was abandoned him, by assuming the role of Ellen. Mm-hmm. 
and he cleans her apartment and actually does it and michelle williams is like why do you smell like that you smell like cleaning products and you're like menstruating and mold and <laughs> mold. Like <you're> <laughs> yeah, like you're like, i don't i don't menstruate and then later yeah. um when Sammy's impersonating him, oh my god! Oh my and, god! And then Michelle Williams is like, "Well, would you, would you clean Hazel's toilet?" And then Sammy was like, "Yes, I would." Everything comes full circle. And then later, um, going back to Ellen, he, mm-hmm. when he's feeling too tired to run the play, and the actress who's playing Ellen does a great job as a director, he he, they offer Ellen, that he assumes Ellen's yeah. role for for a little bit. Exactly. And then Ellen also takes over his role as director and she goes around telling people like tiny remarks that Caden used to do as well. And so they kind of like assume each other's roles and they swap. So he actually does become Ellen. And he, if he is Ellen, then he does have a, re- a relationship with Eric, his homosexual. Yeah. yeah. So it does make sense. But what doesn't make sense is that, okay, do you think like he, because you know how in the entire time people refer to him as like already dead? Ellen actually does say that Caden Cotard is a man already dead. He lives in a half world between stasis and anti-stasis. Time is concentrated, chronology confused. And do you think he's actually been dead the entire time? I feel like I feel like the whole Caden Cotard is already dead is like a mental state. It's not like he is obviously alive, except the thing is that he is also on by some sort of metaphor also dead mm-hmm. because he's he's not present through any of his life his his life passes exactly. by at like a ridiculous rate um totally for all intents and purposes he is dead in that he's not living and so even though he didn't kill himself it's almost as if he did there's like a really speaking of like him being dead this entire time i actually read this theory and you know how in the first five minutes he has that injury before when he's like shaving and he just oh starts bleeding. Gosh. People actually speculate that he actually like shot himself in the bathroom. And and you know how he was doing that play and everything else that happens after that is like a mental like imagination. It's like a dream. Mm. And everything else that happened after that is just like not true. So there's like you know how that actress in his production of Death of a Salesman, she gets hit in the head mm. really hard by that like dodgy um, set design piece that falls on her head. Yeah. And then when Caden arrives at Adele's house, there's always like a shower running, which is like, it seems to be like a constant theme of like, like just like water, like, you know, just being there in the background and like, but nobody's there. It's like absent and quiet. I don't know. Like his mother dying in the home invasion invasion and how the blood is still there is like a reminder it's like, I, would there. someone have cleaned this up <laughs> and it's like i guess no one did it's so terrible oh and then we're at his mother's funeral his dad is just there for some reason and then yeah. immediately afterwards he's like was my dad there and she's like what does your dad look like and he's like well he's dead <laughs> even just the detail um the detail of like when his dad's dead and like the mum is like there was so little left of him we had to fill the coffin with cotton with bombs. cotton and it's like a <gasps> child-sized coffin and the fact that adele says like i fantasize about Caden dying being able to start again guilt-free mm. and she does like she actually does start again in berlin yeah. without guilt so like maybe he is dead this entire time but I, I think that whole theory about him dying very early at the, like dying in the first five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. is a little, ch- I feel like it's a little bit of it's, a, 
I don't know. It's, I feel like it's a rationalization that people will make to try to explain the movie, but I feel like... But it's not the point. Yeah, it's like the whole point is... It's like, I think to Charlie Kaufman, he's, the thing he's trying to say is that real life often feels like this too. Mm-hmm. Real life does often feel like a dream state in which things don't make sense, in which details don't add up, in which yeah. you doubt the fact that you're even living, mm-hmm. in which replications of replications um, mean nothing or lose all meaning. Do you want to talk about Antkind now and the similarities to Antkind? There's so many similarities. So Antkind was released, I think, 12 years after after this movie. And it almost Whoa. feels like a spiritual successor. Because it's about it's about a film critic who discovers a three-month-long film and decide <laughs> and tries to show it to the world before the film is promptly destroyed in a truck fire and he loses all his memories of the film and he tries to recreate yep. the film. But exactly. the biggest similarity is the fact that it the plot revolves around a gigantic art piece that replicates mm-hmm. reality because the film is, is a replication of reality. Totally. Um, so Caden's art piece, Caden, Caden's theater piece is never seen by any audience other than, other than him and the people who are working on it. Ingo's film. So Ingo being the creator in Ankind who creates the <laughs> film, he talks about how there are characters who are seen. So he does it all in stop motion. He has puppets who are seen, but he also um, loves the characters who are unseen who he worked mm-hmm. painlessly to animate, but he just didn't shoot, um, didn't point the camera at them. Totally, and like a boy is, and he says it's a movie about the unseen. Exactly, and it's like from the perspective of a boy that like it was never even in the movie at all, but he was behind the camera <laughs> apparently. Oh yes, I played the unseen boy. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous, um, and the fact that Caden's work keeps getting bigger and bigger and nobody sees it at all it's like the biggest tragedy to be like a failed artist but Adele's work gets smaller and smaller and yet she's like this like renowned artist in Berlin and she's and she even exclaims like on the phone like I'm famous <laughs> it's the whole thing is just like tragic I think what's interesting is Synecdoche New York never presents the fact that Caden's art is never seen as a tragedy it just sort of is. That's true it just is. and what it becomes is it becomes an experiment of people living their lives just inside of inside of a giant warehouse basically it's a simulation yeah it's a simulation um whereas in actually it's a hyper real because like oh yeah it's hyper real everything is slightly turned up in the it's like sort of like the things that are unsaid become said like everything that like in Caden doesn't say anything about his life and then sammy when playing Caden, basically says all the subtext and puts it into the text and sammy jumps and Caden doesn't (laughs) Oh, yeah, because, like, Caden doesn't actually kill himself, but Sammy really does. Sammy really does. That was actually really sad. He was, like, even Sammy, before he jumped, was talking about seen and unseen. He was, like, you finally see me or something like that. Because the entire time, okay, if you haven't seen Synecdoche, you have to notice, like, Sammy is in the background of a lot of the scenes, and you don't notice him until he says that he's, um, he has been stalking Caden for, like, the past 20 years or something. And if you, I didn't notice it the first time, but if you rewatch it, you'll see Sammy peeking out of like tree trunks and he's standing right opposite the house. And Sammy is Mm. everywhere in the background and Caden never sees him until Sammy like really auditions as Caden. Until Sammy auditions for the freaking, the freaking play. Well, in in Adkind, this idea of like the scene and unseen is really interesting because 
they become other there you you eventually see other other iterations of the film that feature the unseen characters mm-hmm. and so it's sort of it's so strange that it's sort of like within ant kind the seen and unseen is sort of like an idea that changes between it's like throughout throughout the book the, who is seen changes and there are also random chapters in the book that are like literally like focusing on characters that aren't related to be the main character but it's just random comedy duos um such as yeah. herbert and durnham um rooney and doodle rooney and doodle um button chick it's like it follows all of these random like um random comedy duos throughout history like that seemingly come out of nowhere and seemingly seem identical in some way do you know who is one character that is both seen and unseen in and kind jeremy who? <laughs> um, I would say Clown, Lo- clown Laurie is both clown seen Laurie. Unseen because she's in full clown attire, <sighs> therefore she's seen, but she's really unseen because like, in, um, B doesn't know what she looks like, and therefore she's unseen. Uh, and then he tries to stalk her and find out who she is. And then she. <laughs> okay, so something that's also. Oh, go on, go on, go on. And then her building is set on fire. And then she jumps down um, to land on the trampoline <laughs> she... where the fire, where the firemen oh are. And then she, because she's a clown, the trampoline bounces back and she jumps back into the burning building. Oh my God. Stuff like that is just amazing. Something else that's shared is between Ant Kind and Synecdoche is the protagonist is penchant for cleaning, cleaning the things <laughs> of attractive women that he will never have. So he ends up cleaning Adele's bathroom, or Adele's whole like house Adele's and basically yeah. cleans up. Adele's whole apartment and then B the protagonist the film critic protagonist of Ant Kind um falls in love with some woman named Sai who Sai. he confesses his love towards and then Sai is like well I'm not gonna go out with you but you can clean my apartment and basically become my servant yeah he even does her laundry at one point he does her laundry and smells it in order to smells- inhale all of the sinus of it and also, he worked at um, a shoe company for a bit and then made, and then Sai was returning these pairs of shoes. And then he, what does he do? He like detours them to his office and sends them there. And then he smells yeah. Sai's shoes and gets fired for it. Because... <laughs> it's so insane. And the warehouse in Synecdoche is a simulation of um, his real, like, his reality, basically. Mm. And then these reconstructed like film of bingos is a simulation of what he saw but then it ends up being its own thing because he adds things Mm. to it and so both are like hyper real versions of what its original thing is and therefore it becomes it it doesn't it's not a simulation of it anymore it therefore just precedes it and exists and it's just so interesting because the fake is now the real and so you don't you don't even know what the real was before you know what I mean? I think one of my favorite moments in Synecdoche, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, yeah. I know who you're quoting. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments in Synecdoche is like after Sam A jumps and they have the funeral and it's really quite sad and sort of like, um, Caden has that monologue where he says, no one, I think I know how to do the play. No one in life is an extra. Um, they all have their own dreams, their own desires, their own wants. Like we have to give them their due. Then it immediately cuts to 
a replication of that scene where the music is like put through like a shitty radio and you can see it's mm -hmm. an actor playing Caden saying that to a fake Hazel and it sort of it feels so cheap exactly but that funeral scene was really intense that monologue was I thought that monologue was excellent it was one of the best monologues I've ever heard it's a really short monologue was, as well yeah it's short but it's so it I think it encapsulates the film really well it's like all about mortality and death and like just all your bad decisions that you've ever made and it's just like what you create is like what you are and then when you when you are dead it's all gone what is your opinion of the minister's monologue that happens very shortly after that when like he can't get the funeral scene working and then ellen takes over and it becomes like a different a different play altogether and the minister gives this really hammy yet sincere monologue is it the one that where he was like and the truth is i feel so angry and I feel so I feel fucking, so fucking sad. angry and so fucking sad. And I felt and the so truth fucking is, I alone felt so for so fucking, fucking long. So fucking long. And for just as long, I've been pretending to be okay. I don't know why, because no one wants to hear about my misery. Because they have it there. Because they all have miseries of their own. Amen. Well, you know what? <laughs> Fuck everybody. Amen. <laughs> You know, what's so interesting so um, is that when I read the script, that was actually the most poignant thing that came through. Like a, a lot of the scenes that were poignant in the film didn't seem as poignant in the script. And that monologue mm -hmm. felt really, that really long monologue felt really like heartfelt and like it came from like Charlie Kaufman himself. And then the really? way they staged it, it, it feels like it does feel on some level poignant, but on another level, really fake, the simulation. Can we talk about the music for a second? Yes, John Ryan. Okay, John Ryan. He's actually, he hasn't done that many scores, which is like... He, he did the Ladybird score, surprising. Right? Yeah, he did like the Ladybird score, Punch Drunk Love. Ooh, Eternal Sunshine. That was like one of the best. Oh, yeah. I think Ladybird is like excellent, especially, fuck, what's that song? It's like, let me look for it. Ooh, Packing Up is the song from Ladybird and also Leaving. And it's when Ladybird is like packing her shit up and she's heading to New York and she's leaving her family. Oh my mm. god, that always gets me. I play it every time I'm like leaving home. And I just can't wait to play it again. He's actually listened to these. I didn't know that they had particular names. They do. The, you should see the names of the one from Selectiki. Like I've been listening to a few of them, like, but I don't remember the names of most of them. I remember they the, have patterns, the guitar like, line. The, there's a few, there's a few like motifs that sort of repeat. There's like that, that yeah. guitar that goes da, 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 da. Yeah, it's like the same like simplistic but sad melody, I guess. And then there's the, there's this theme that has all those sort of random electronic beeps sort of going on in the background. Yeah, and it's like, I think that's when he's like really anxious, especially like when he's at the doctor's offices, which looks, which doesn't look like it's like a basement of like a of like a factory or something. Oh, it's like the scariest doctor's office. It's like what you imagine a doctor's office from a horror film looks like. Yeah, it's like a it's like a black market like doctor's office. It just looks horrible and it it looks like it smells weird. And I feel like Adele's studio also changes a lot in his house because like at first it was like a regular basement and then it became really clean and it seems like he just so That's cuz he cleans it. Yeah, because it's, it's his first act of cleaning for Adele. That's true. 
He cleans for her so many times. We should talk about Little Person and also Song for Caden, which are like the two songs that actually have lyrics in them that play in the movie, which Charlie Kaufman actually wrote the lyrics for with John Bryan, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I do love the lyrics of Little Person. It's like Same. very... On some, on some level, it says the same thing as Synecdoche, that it's sort of like, we are like, we are all just little people looking for someone who we can mm-hmm. connect with and say, I know you. You're little the person is like the hopeful version of Synecdoche. And then Song for Caden is like all the, the really sad, depressing elements of Synecdoche. And it's more realistic. I haven't listened to Song for Caden. What? Okay, wait, Little in Little Person... But one of the lyrics, I think my favorite part is like, I'll find a second little person who will look at me and say, I know you, you're the one I've been waiting for. Let's have some fun. That's like the best part because it's like content. Mm. And that's when, that's, I think it plays when him and Hazel actually get together, like finally. You know, it plays when they have their first date. It plays when they have their oh, first date. Oh, true. And it sort of, it keeps playing when they're it, having sex and he starts crying and it oh. sort of just ends really badly. And it's, it's ironic because it turns out Hazel is that person he's been looking for. He just doesn't know yes. until she dies. And so much time is wasted because, like, she was with Derek and had, like, two kids and everything. Did you realise Derek was the guy who lived in her basement? <gasps> like, the real estate agent's, like... Derek is the real estate's son oh who happens to live God. in the basement. That is so and funny. Then she sto- and then she marries him. <laughs> he doesn't die of... I think Song for Caden is really sad. Especially... Okay, I have the mm. lyrics here. No one will ever love you for everything you are until you build up layers of deception and you leave things... You leave out things to alter the perceptions of the ones you love who will never love you back. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> wow. I know. Charlie Kaufman should write for Misky. <laughs> for Mitski. It'll just be... Oh <laughs> it'll make my life so much harder. What like nobody? The song it could be like a weird, like hyper pop anthem for like Synecdoche. No, that's the Malaysian. Or like for like anthem. all of. That's true. Do you know why? But in some way, it's like it's why. Wait, do you not know why? That. Nobody well, other than the fact that Mitski is Malaysian. Okay, she's not Malaysian, and she's she wrote like... it in Malaysia. She wrote it in okay, Malaysia, yeah. feeling okay, yeah, incredibly kind of... unhappy and lonely. But I think that sort of like in some in some level you can draw quite strong connections between the work of Mitski and the work of Charlie Kaufman because they're all about alienation. They're all about um, people not loving them back. Yes, yeah, so I think alienation is his is his biggest theme. It's sort of like yeah. the whole like you look to others to see yourself reflected, but instead you see nothing. Exactly, um, and just not like being loved. The the people that are supposed to love you don't reflect you back, and so you might as well be mm-hmm. dead. In, in fact, you feel dead. Yeah, and you find someone that is the one for you, and you sort of waste them, and you sort of like live your and whole it never life works out almost taking them for granted until that one moment when you see each <laughs> other, and it's beautiful, and then they pass away the next day, and then you're left having lost the the biggest love of your life, which you never even appreciated while it was there. I don't think Mitski has gone that far, but. <laughs> But I agree. Okay, sure. Misty is the female Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Isn't Ellen the female Charlie Kaufman? <laughs> Wait, do you know, like, I clicked on... I didn't... I forgot that Ellen was played by Diane Weiss. And I've actually... I saw two Diane Weiss movies this year, which is actually really funny. What's she been in? She's, 
She was in, you know, um, fuck, what is it called? It's that new movie with like Rosamund Pike. I care a lot. It's about like her scamming old people. No, I didn't see that. And Diane Weiss is like the old person. Is Diane Weiss in Harry Potter? I feel like I recognize her from Harry Potter, but maybe she's. I don't think she's in Harry Potter. (laughs) She was also she was in this other Steven Soderbergh movie with Lucas Hedges and Meryl Streep that occurs on a cruise ship, which was really bad, and I saw that and I wasted my time. Um, She was in she was in a lot of Woody Allen movies like Hannah and Her Sisters, which I haven't seen. I feel like she must be a different generation then. I mean, she obviously is a different generation. She's How old do you think she is? Than us. 60, 70. She's 73. Okay. <laughs> okay, since we're on the topic different of generations. Movies, I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman really doesn't get enough credit. I think he's one of the best actors ever. I do think he gets a lot of credit, but like he also okay, like blows no, it out of yes. the, he, he knocks it out of the park. Like people love him as one of the best actors of this generation, but he really does knock it out of the park, especially in... Um, Synecdoche, King, New York. Like, it wouldn't work if they had Nicolas Cage instead. Totally. Or even Jim Carrey. It's sort of like he plays the perfect sad sack for Charlie Kaufman to sort of impress himself onto. I think, yeah, I feel like these actors that, like, Charlie Kaufman keeps working with are, like, one of the best. Like, even Catherine Keeter is amazing and Jennifer Jason Lee is great as well. Does Catherine Keener play the wife in Synecdoche or is that someone else? Catherine Keener? No, yeah, she Catherine doesn't. Keener is Adele. Oh, she is? Oh, I didn't even She realize. is Adele. And then Jennifer Jason Lee is, is her friend, that whose name I forgot. Maria. She plays Maria. Maria. Who becomes, whose muse becomes Olive. I think Jennifer Jason Lee is also an amazing actress. And she... So I haven't seen her in that many things. I know that she was married to Noah Baumbach. She voices the... Um, Lisa in Anomalisa. Oh right, you were right about She's that. She's like the only voice that's yeah, that's not that isn't the guy. played by Sammy Bar Nathan. <laughs> Should we end it like how they end the movie? How did they end the movie? I oh wait. Do you want to play um Oh, I know. Okay, I'm going to do the ending that Caden says, but you don't have to say it. Oh, actually, you can say it because you're the guest. Caden's last line. Yeah. I know what to do with this podcast now. I have an idea. I think... Guy. <laughs>